It's Kingston Twelve. It's Kingston Twelve. It's Kingston Twelve now. It's Kingston Twelve. Now why you come along so? Oh no. Hey, good morning and welcome to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We are on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. And if you're joining us via your DSTV, we are on Channel 902. But first up, let's look at your news with myself on Elintensi. And we take a look at your headlines this morning. A UN helicopter launches strike against Ugandan rebels near the northeastern border of DRC. Tunisia's government dismisses five senior officials. And South Africa's aid agency Gift of the Givers confirms the South African man being held in Mali could be home by Christmas. With your latest news, a very good morning. I am Onilin Sinti. 
United Nations helicopter have have launched uh, strikes against Ugandan rebels near the northeastern border of DRC in response to attacks that killed dozens of people. The fighting is the latest in an area ravaged by a regional war that ended in 2003 and still plagued by armed groups. About 30 people were killed on Sunday when Islamist militant fighters from the Allied Democratic Forces attacked military bases near the town of Erengeti. Tunisian government has dismissed five senior officials, including the Interior Ministry top security chief. This a week after a suicide bomber killed 12 presidential guards in an attack in the center of the capital. The bus bombing in Tunis was the third major militant attack in Tunisia this year, which the Islamic State claimed responsibility for. Neither the Prime Minister's office nor the Interior Ministry gave in any details of the reasons for the dismissals. Chairperson of the African Union Commission, Zuma, says Africa hopes the international community will pursue a strong agreement at the Climate Change Summit in Paris, which will help the continent adapt to change in weather patterns. Around 150 heads of states and governments have been meeting in the French capital at the UN COP21 summit. It's hope, it hoped world leaders will agree to a universal deal which will keep global temperature rises to below 2 degrees Celsius, AU chairperson Kosazana Zuma. Well, my message is not different from the African message that we need to come out with a, an agreement that is legally binding. It recognizes common but differentiated uh, responsibilities that does not go beyond 2 degrees in terms of the temperature preferable 1.5 but not more than 2. An agreement that uh, also takes into account the energy needs of the developing world. South Africa's aid agency Gift of the Givers has confirmed that the South African man being held in Mali could be home by Christmas. The foundation says it's involved in the rescue of Stephen McGowan by making contact with Al-Qaeda. McGowan was abducted by Al-Qaeda in November 2011, along with Swedish national Johan Gustafsson, founder of Gift of the Givers, Imtia Suleiman. Different people, and they told us, your biggest challenge is going to be to find somebody who can take your case to Al-Qaeda. Now, this tells us many things. It means those people successfully took our case to Al-Qaeda. It means Al-Qaeda has accepted to negotiate with us on behalf of both families. It also shows that both hostages are in good health. And finally, the U.S. is warning its citizens against traveling to Mali, urging Americans already in Mali to review their personal safety and security plans to decide if they should leave. The advisory issued on Tuesday advises U.S. citizens to remain vigilant and avoid public gatherings and locations frequented by foreigners. Last month, heavily armed Islamic extremists attacked a luxury hotel in Mali's capital, Bamako. Twenty people, including one American, were killed. Now recapping on your top stories, a UN helicopter launches strikes against Ugandan rebels near the northeastern border of DRC. Tunisia's government dismisses five senior officials and South Africa's aid agency Gift of the Givers confirms the South African man being held in Mali could be home by Christmas. Channel Africa News.
African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwong yes, and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Okay, 30 seconds. Okay, thanks, Vidi. Well, thank you for joining us here on African Dialogue. We, you tuned right here on Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. Thank you to uh, Amanda for that news there. And uh, I think it was Onele there in our Johannesburg studio giving us our news and opening our program. You're listening to us on the frequency uh, 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Well, if you're listening to us on our DSTV audio bouquet channel, we're right here on Channel 902. Remember that you can listen to us on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, right now we're coming live from the Indaba Hotel in Four Ways, Johannesburg, for the first annual Mission Logistics and Support Africa Conference, which is underway. It is really paramount in these days in light of the ongoing armed conflict, conflict resolutions, peacekeeping, logistics for security, peace support operations, and humanitarian intervention on the continent. Now, the lightning speed at which conflict in Africa is accelerating places colossal strain upon the supply chain. So today we're going to be here with uh, uh, the Intelligence Transfer Center, which is hosting the annual Mission Logistics and Support Africa Conference, and it will be aiding some conversations in light of uh, what we're talking about in terms of missions, logistics, and support. Uh, right now we've got the Dira Susankar, who is the production manager of the Intelligence Transfer Center, as well as Martin Ewi, who is the senior researcher at the Institute for Security Studies in the uh, Transnational Threats and also International Crime. Let's start with you, Sudira. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's always good to have some of the events that you organize, uh, the Intelligence Transfer Center. Tell us a little bit more about the Intelligence Transfer Center, because this is our second partnership with you as an organization. Well, the Intelligence Transfer Center um, is basically a um, research conference-based company sure. where we basically go throughout the continent and bridge the gap, skills gap, between uh, various industries and sectors. Fantastic. Now, tell us a little bit about how you actually partake in those particular activities, what kind of projects that you really focus on. Well, we focus predominantly in the government sphere, so the public sector, sure. um, which uh, obviously means that we go to each country, find out what are the major backlogs or bottlenecks that they are suffering with, mm. and we identify people that can provide solutions to that. And then we go forward and put together a conference where we create an objective platform mm. for people to engage, network, 
and uh, find solutions on their challenges. Fantastic. Now let's look at the first annual Mission Logistics and Support Africa conference. Tell us a little bit about how it came about and its importance and why this is such a pivotal moment for Africa to have a conference such as this. Well, I think, uh, Martin, I think you are <laughs> much more better placed to answer that. Sure. But uh, we hosted a uh, peacekeeping conference in July this year where uh, the main objective was that we were inundated with requests to hold a defense logistics conference that would actually aid and abet um, Africa in moving forward and not backward. And I think this is the platform in terms of why we've created it and to identify solutions of the challenges. Sure. Now, that makes me move on forcibly by <laughs> Sudira to move on to you, Martine. We have spoken to you a couple of times. It's great to meet you, nice uh, to senior meet you. researcher at the Institute for Security Studies. Tell us a little bit about what we're talking about when we speak about mission logistics. Maybe people at home don't really understand the term and how it actually affects them as ordinary citizens of the continent. Yes, uh, I think this uh, is a very, very important topic. Uh, for everyone, uh, especially when we talk about peacekeeping, uh, because without mission logistic, you can't have peacekeeping. Uh, peacekeeping is about logistics. It's about how do you lift the soldiers to get to where they have to be. It's about how do you get the equipment that the soldiers need um, to actually do the peacekeeping on the ground. Uh, where conflict is. Uh, if you look at uh, the map of Africa, you will see that uh, the continent is uh, inundated with um, many peacekeeping missions. You have uh, United Nations peacekeeping missions in Mali, in uh, Central African Republic, in Darfur. So they, they, they are everywhere. Then you also have the African Union, on the other hand, with uh, uh, peacekeeping missions in Somalia, uh, in uh, trying to deploy one now uh, for the Central African region or the Niger, the uh, Lake Chad Basin uh, uh, countries uh, with Nigeria, uh, Cameroon, Chad, uh, and Niger. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you also have the AU mission, uh, which has been struggling there, uh, but uh, has been back and forth in Burundi. Mm -hmm. uh, then you have, of course, the AU is participating in the UN mission in Mali, uh, also participating in the UN mission in uh, Darfur, where it is actually a hybrid uh, mission. Mm -hmm. So what we are trying to say here is that... Um, the demand for peacekeeping on the continent is growing. Mm. Uh, it has been growing ever since the 1990s. And now we are seeing new threats uh, on the continent. Uh, before, we used to have this conventional armed conflict where, you know, countries uh, uh, were being inundated with internal, uh, uh, very gruesome conflict. Now, this is giving way to... Uh, this new conflict that we call transnational threats. These are uh, conflict, as the name uh, implies, which are very transnational. They are transborder. So it's not just within one country. So we are moving away from that stage where, you know, conflict is confined to a certain region, uh, to a certain country, to where conflict poses a threat basically to everyone. Uh, and that itself means that peacekeeping itself has to change. Mm. Uh, and I think this is where this uh, summit comes in very handy. Uh, the timing is very critical, sure. you know, given that the African Union itself is uh, planning to launch the African Standby Force, which has been in planning for the past uh, 14 years or yes, so. Yes. Uh, we also have 
the fact that uh, you know the AU just launched you know uh, ju- uh, the logistics uh, headquarters in uh, Cameroon in preparation for the launching of the African Standby Force. So I think that meetings like this one, which brings together the experts in the domain, will be able to enrich that AU and UN processes. Mm. Well, I'll come back to you because I think that dynamic of that transnational um, theme is one that's actually causing a lot of conversations around this particular issue of defense and, and, and mission logistics. But coming back to you, uh, Sudira, in terms of, you know, hosting such events for for yourself, I'm I'm sure there is a sense of um, achievement after you've kind of facilitated a a progress such as this or program such as this in terms of uh, uh, pivotal conversations on the continent, creating those platforms, because that's where the problem seems to be. We're not creating enough platforms for these dialogues to take place. No, that's absolutely correct. I think um, one of the key um, things about Intelligence Transfer Center is that post every single conference, especially when you have the high level of speakers that this has pulled together. Mm. We create a dossier, which is feedbacks and outcomes that goes through to the relevant authorities and um, constituencies across the continent. And I think that gives us a sense of actually knowing that we're making a difference. We're actually bridging gaps. We're actually skilling people and, you know, providing the best possible solution to the challenges like logistics on the continent. Mm. Let me come back to you, Martin, as we're highlighting this whole issue of uh, dialogue and platforms. I'm interested in the conversation of this transnational dynamics when it comes to um, mission logistics and also uh, defense and missionaries all over the continent in terms of, you know, how has this changed the way we see defense and in terms of who bears who bears rather the the cost and who bears the responsibility of response i'm sure that's a big big conversation right now absolutely uh, absolutely it's a it's a head cracking conversation <laughs> that uh, uh you know countries are struggling with mm-hmm. um but i think the un is getting there you know um they they are moving way faster than the african union mm-hmm. in terms of thinking ahead and in terms of being able to solve a number of problems ahead of time. Now, if you look at what the UN has done, it's true that most of what the UN does um, is provided by the member state, by, you know, the countries. Um, But that has to be control and administer by the UN. So it is always a UN funded or UN equipped event. So the UN is the one that providing the logistics. Mm -hmm. The UN is the one that will have to mobilize the equipment, mobilize the resources that are needed Mm -hmm. um, uh, for any peacekeeping mission. So the UN will uh, talk to countries. The countries will have to uh, give this equipment. So the UN actually does the procurement of these equipment that are necessary for logistics. And the UN does the planning, uh, you know, in terms of how logistics should be done. What do you need and how do you need it and when do you need it? So these kind of critical questions uh, is what the UN is struggling with. But logistics is not a very um, easy thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have seen um, a number of issues with logistics in Africa where, you know, various peacekeeping missions uh, have uh, been paralyzed uh, because of uh, ineffective uh, logistic uh, planning uh, and also availability of logistic equipment on the ground. Um, and that has affected a number of peacekeeping uh, whereby, you know, some of them have been deployed way very late. Some of them have been deployed at a time that, um, you know, they actually gave 
uh, opportunity you know, mm. to the adversary to uh, actually commit more crimes on the ground. So logistics is really critical because if um, the UN, the African Union or anyone can intervene mm. in this conflict, this transnational threat where you know, today we are basically talking of terrorism. Sure. You know, you've heard of uh, recent attacks everywhere mm. and now uh, we, 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 we have to think in terms of how can you know, peacekeeping respond to this kind of uh, uh, threat uh, and for peacekeeping to be able to respond to that, of course we need logistics. Yeah. We say that logistics is to peacekeeping as money is to the economy. So it is that critical, it is that important, yeah. um, you know, for the survival of uh, um, our race. Before I let you go, what, what's interesting as well in logistics is the fact of transparency. That's been a key area of dispute when it comes to African countries in terms of how you acquire arms. Arms deals have been a big question on, on the continent. Well, what, what's your thought about that transparency area? No, it is a, it is a problem. The issue of corruption uh, mm. has been raised. Uh, actually, we are discussing it uh, uh, at the summit now, mm. and I'm sure that by the, end, uh, by the end of the summit tomorrow, we'll be able to come up with some solid uh, recommendations mm. in terms of how do we solve this problem of corruption. Uh, it is not just there, you know, uh, peacekeeping has to deal with different dynamics, you know, it has to deal with different countries. Central African Republic is not the same like Burundi, sure. it's not the same like uh, 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 Somalia, mm. it's not the same like uh, in Darfur. So you have to deal with different dynamics on the ground, people, culture, and uh, other social aspects sure. that uh, uh, influence uh, uh, peacekeeping. And the issue of transparency, it's one of them, because sometimes um, the UN, the AU have been accused uh, of not being very open and sometimes it's the countries themselves who will manipulate uh, you know things on the ground in order you know to benefit from some of these things mm -hmm. but i think that um, because the issue has been raised at the highest level the un is putting in place various mechanisms bureaucratic mechanism tightening the system to make it uh, difficult you know for any country or any person to really you know penetrate the system of course we know that it is not yet perfect but mm. you know i'm sure one day we'll get there mm. well thank you so much for giving us your time thank you to martin Awe. i know he has to go back and facilitate some of the programs he's actually was uh, the opening uh, the opening remarks were from him and also he has been uh, conducting the first sessions that are taking place here at the first annual mission logistics and support africa conference that's martin Awe, the senior researcher at uh, institute for security studies basically he is a uh, expert in transnational threats and international crime thank you as well to sudira susinkar who is the production manager at intelligence transfer center we're going to go back to our johannesburg studios at the sabc in Auckland Park, right here in South Africa, and uh, get a quick break and then we'll come back with more guests. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting edge and hard hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa. 
This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundé. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Uh, remember that our main uh, uh, service is into the continent, and uh, that's our frequency of 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Uh, remember that you can also join us on DSTV on the audio bouquet. Uh, we're on Channel 902. Uh, thank you to our community online if you're listening to us on www.channelafrica.co.za. We're right here at the Indaba Hotel in Four Ways, collaborating with the intelligence Transfer Center today. We're right here at the first annual Mission Logistics and Support Africa conference, speaking with the experts here, getting a lowdown on what conversations are coming out from this particular uh, uh, re- real discussion. I know that the key strategies to be discussed are as follows, discussing the United Nations new mission support system, uh, evaluating the role of strategic fit as the critical enabler of the AU's African capacity for immediate response to crisis capabilities, and also other uh, relevant issues will be highlighted. Now we've got uh, other guests who are joining us here on our program. Uh, right now we've got Ibrahima Sisei, who is uh, the Chief Service Delivery in the Chief Service Delivery in Unimid, as well as Brigadier General Robert Chikanji Kabage, who is uh, Chief of Systems of the Defense Headquarters at Kenya. And we're going to find out some of the areas that they'll be looking at. Let me start with you. Uh, uh, Brigadier General uh, thank you for joining us here on our program that's Brigadier General Robert Kikanji uh, uh, Kabage, thank you for joining us on our program, I'm kind of getting a, uh, like my <laughs> I can't really pronounce it properly but let's move on to some of the critical areas that you'll be highlighting, focusing on critical challenges for troop uh, contributing countries, police contributing countries and UN high uh, reimbursement rates, tell us a little bit about some of the key areas that you want to deal with at this particular conference. Thank you so much. <coughs> My name is uh, Robert Gichangi Kabage. I'm from <laughs> Kenya. Thank I'm you so much. I'm not be able to pronounce <laughs> it. But uh, the key areas that I'll be looking at uh, during this conference is the problems that uh, troop-contributing countries and police-contributing countries encounter as they provide their troops, as they provide their equipment to the UN for use by the UN, and they want to seek the reimbursement from the UN. What are the challenges that they face? Some of those challenges is that uh, you know the capacities of most of the troop-contributing countries. Financially, they are not well off. They are from uh, the third world countries. They are from the developing countries. And so leasing or coming up with equipment that meet the UN standards is usually a problem. The other thing is that they retain equipments in the failed missions, in the UN peacekeeping missions, that are too old, that they cannot be able to uh, get the compensation that is uh, available from the UN, simply because they don't have the financial capacity to maintain the equipment at the standards and the levels that is desired of the UN. Mm. Yeah. In terms of that particular issue of who bears the cost, because I was highlighting that with Mr. Martin Awi, is that also a challenge in terms of these particular troops, the cost for war and conflict? The cost for war? 
in terms of you know the, the equipment do countries actually bear those particular costs the countries uh, in most cases we operate at a wet lease arrangement mm-hmm. a wet lease arrangement is where we avail equipment from member states sure. to the UN mm-hmm. to be used by our troops and at, this, uh, at, at the same time, the UN is supposed to reimburse us for, for those equipment. Mm. Now, the problem is that sometimes we don't have the financial capacity mm. to be able to provide the equipment that are at the level or at the standard that is expected of the UN. Yes. And in terms of the whole issue of transnational uh, conflicts that are taking place right now, we know also terrorism is coming into the fold when it comes to African conflicts. Is that putting pressure also on the logistics of, of troops as well? It is. It is for sure. Because you see uh, <coughs> uh, challenges like terrorism are actually uh, challenges that require very uh, fast uh, response. Sure. And if you don't have the adequate equipment, if you don't have the adequate capacities, then it becomes it puts pressure on the logistics. Mm. Yes. Let me move on to you, uh, Ibrahim Asisei, who is uh, from UNAMED. You'll be discussing the issue of uh, the United Nations new mission support system. Tell us a little bit about some of the areas that you want to highlight at this gathering. Well, thank you very much. Uh, the United Nations new support system is uh, a strategy that is aimed at uh, doing things more efficiently mm. and more effectively, noting that the whole world uh, is, 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 is faced with economic challenges. Mm. There's no endless pot of money. Sure. Um, at the same time, it is also aimed at uh, ensuring that the security and safety of our troops and civilians is ensured um, through um, careful uh, development of strategies that allow people to um, reduce the footprints in some of the more difficult environments and that they can be placed in uh, so-called global centers and, and regional service centers. Um, so essentially this is what it is. It's just a new way of looking at things and, and doing things more effectively, more efficiently, reduce our impact on the environment and all those sort of things. Mm. And in terms of your relationship with uh, the African Union, how do you work alongside each other? Well, the African Union uh, is a very important partner, um, both from the point of view that uh, the African continent represents a significant uh, part of our membership, uh, but also um, that it unfortunately happens to be the home of most of the conflicts, um, some of the major ones. Um, So on account of that, it has been always very important to partner with uh, the African Union. And that partnership takes many forms. Troops are contributed by the African Union. Uh, in some in some instances, there is an initial phase of supporting them, and later on they become rehearted and become uh, UN peacekeeping uh, troops. Mm. But um, uh, I think it's a partnership that that's that's growing from strength to strength. I would say. Mm. I'm also interested in, in some of the areas that were highlighted by the Brigadier General in terms of the costing and also the heavy weight that um, some equipments become old and there's a huge logistics backlog when it comes to Africa. How can we change that particular dynamic as a continent? Well, I, th- I, I can't necessarily speak on behalf of member states sure, here. Sure. Um, but but uh, just on a general... On a, on a general note, I think... Sure. I think uh, Thinking as an African, I would, yes. I would imagine that uh, African countries should gradually um, invest in, in in good, capable equipment because you get reimbursed for it. 
uh, it's not like it's a it's a it's a free gift to the organization. Um, so I can understand if you're starting new, maybe a challenging thing, but uh, it's worth I think the investment in the long term that you can fully participate in peacekeeping and at the same time uh, uh, benefit from uh, reimbursements that can go on to build your capacity. Uh, I wouldn't um, say that everything is centered around the equipment itself. I think we talked about training, we talked about uh -huh. maintenance capabilities. Mm -hmm. I think those are also very important uh, aspects of the equation. Mm. Coming back to you, uh, uh, Brigadier General, in terms of new equipment, in terms of the issue that was highlighted by Mr. Ibrahim Assisei, in terms of training with new, into new equipment, new technologies that are coming into the fold right now, we know that uh, uh, we had an advanced stage when it comes to international technologies. Uh, where are we as a continent in that term? We are doing quite well. I would say we are moving up with the times. Uh, we are still not there. We need to do more, but uh, we, we are trying our best. And what programs are actually assisting in, in this regard in, in, in various uh, situations? One of the programs is like the program that we are attending at the moment, mm -hmm. the first uh, log uh, logistics uh, conference. Uh, this is uh, an avenue whereby issues of integrated uh, logistics mm -hmm. training will be discussed and we'll, we'll see how we can be able to put it in place. Mm. Yes. But in terms of practically on the ground, are we actually getting our troops to actually be geared up in the right way to be fit in, in terms of international standards and also to actually understand the weaponry they're utilizing? And also, how do we ensure that also uh, we have a comprehensive approach when it comes to this mission's logistics um, area? As uh, Mr. Sese said, uh, the, there is need for us to do more. Okay. Uh, as he said, uh, these this equipment are not being offered for free. Yeah. We need to invest. We need to invest in training. We need to in, uh, invest in acquisition of, uh, of the equipment. And we, we didn't need to do much more to be able to be... Uh, within the acceptable levels. Mm. Yes. And, and coming back to you, Mr. Abrim, Mr. Say, I was looking at the issue of terrorism, and I'm sure it changes the dynamics of how we see the issue of uh, conflicts on on the continent. Does it does it actually make your job a bit, bit more difficult? This new uh, territory, this new uh, problem to really deal with. Well, in the in the broader context of uh, security and safety, mm. of course, it does. Um, um, that means um, we live in a world now where you can't ignore the fact that uh, there are threats and uh, as a consequence um, the whole arrangement for um, for logistics, for service delivery has to take that into account. Your security, security requirements uh, and deterrent requirements will also increase. So it, it is a significant thing. Um, thankfully, um, I wouldn't say that uh, we our operations are always coming under terror, terrorist attacks. I wouldn't say that. Um, 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 and I think that's one of the beauties of the United Nations in that it's, 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 it's supposed to be apolitical and, uh, sure. and uh, its combination and makeup is, is a neutral party. So, uh, but having said that, the general concept of safety, security makes you um, even more careful, makes you even plan uh, bigger. And in some cases, invest more in security, deterrence, and, and things like that.
Mm. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to continue with our guests and look at some other uh, dynamics that are part of uh, this particular conversation. We're at the first annual Mission Logistics and Support Africa Conference and we're right here at the Indaba Hotel in Four Ways. So remember, we want to hear from you, so do let us know what you think. At Channel Africa One, that's our Twitter handle, or at African Dialogue, we want to hear from you. Remember, you can also find us online on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's our website. So we're going to take a quick break and continue with our guests. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Welcome to Africa Midday. Get to know Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views, and great African entertainment. You can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio Bouquet, Channel 902. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Play another promo, please. Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. My name is Sipa Hot Sticks Mabuse, a South African musician and an African artist for that matter. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Pambi. My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya, and you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. I love Well, thank you for joining us. If you've just joined us right here on Channel Africa, this is African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatama. Every day we bring you the biggest conversations that are taking place on the continent. I get the pleasure to actually present this particular program, bring you some of the best experts on the continent who are dealing with African issue today. Right now we're speaking to Brigadier General Robert uh, Jikanji Kabage, as well as uh, 
Ibrema Sisei, who is uh, giving us their views on uh, this particular uh, gathering taking place right here at the Indaba Hotel in Four Ways, Johannesburg. It's titled the First Annual Mission Logistics and Support Africa Conference. And we're right here as it uh, starts off. Now, I was speaking about this issue of uh, the nature of our missions on the continent in terms of where should we be going in terms of uh, what we see presented in front of us with the introductions of uh, uh, terrorism and uh, conflicts that have a different nature to them. Uh, General Brigadier, in terms of an integrated force, should we move on to a more integrated program or should we have these uh, different missions who are having their different compositions and are doing their own um, missions in different parts of the continent? What, what's your view in terms of that? Having different missions, uh, doing uh, different things in uh, different missions, we cannot be able to avoid that. What we need to ensure is that all those troops are trained on uh, an integrated uh, uh, system okay. so that whatever is happening in one mission is the same case that is happening in another mission. In West Africa, in East Africa, in Central Africa, it should be the same. Okay. And that can be achieved, one, by ensuring that all the peacekeepers go through an integrated uh, uh, training and two, we all train on the same equipments to ensure that there is interoperability be between the between the missions. Mm. Why and, is that such an important and the contingents? Why is that such an important thing to see unfold? Why should we take on that particular approach? Because it is important for us to be for all of us to be doing the same thing. Mm. There is need for us to make sure that we are operating to the same doctrine. Yes. That uniformity is very important, isn't it, uh, Mr. Ibrahim, as you say, in terms of strength as well, in terms of ensuring that the African continent has a powerful front in its operations, and also there's a sense of a um, united front in all these different operations. Yeah, I think uh, I, on, that, on that specific topic, I will defer to the general. I think he has much more <laughs> experience in the sure, area sure. Of, uh, of that. Um, the only thing I would add is, um, that as as on on the on the basis of efficiency, there are sure. always um, uh, possibilities of looking at how these missions can collaborate. Also, okay, even though they, I agree with him, they are they are set out differently and in different missions. But there are some things, uh, and they do that. We we in uh, UN try try to take advantage of that. I just finished talking about regional missions cooperating in 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 certain areas of logistics. Mm. So even though they are in different countries, different mandate, okay. there's some things they can collaborate on. But I think um, he, he summed it up very nicely. There. Let's take that further in terms of what you were speaking about in those collaborations. What what was your insight in terms of, of those particular collaborations? What were the advantages to those kind of uh, approaches? Well, I think it's essentially the, the, the possibilities of economies of scale. Ah. That um, um, if you jointly do some things, uh, the the overall the unit cost of doing it uh, will be reduced. Mm. I think essentially that is it. And if you do things on a larger scale, you benefit from uh, well training processes, experience, and those sort of things. Yeah. Now, let me move on to this area whereby I think it's, it's very interesting for me in terms of looking at um, uh, the the idea of 
independence from the African uh, continent. I know that uh, th- that's been a big conversation that the AU has been talking about, that African missions have to start having creating their own dependency. Africa has to start creating its own space whereby it's independent in how it approaches missions. What, what's, what's your view according to, can we, do we have the scale to deal with um, having operations that we can deal with depend, independent uh, as a continent? <coughs> Thank you so much. Uh, I would say that Africa is already doing that. Sure. You are aware of the Africa, the UN uh, African mission in uh, Darfur. Yeah. It is started as an African mission, only that it really had it later to a U to a hybrid mission. Mm. The same case applies in uh, in Somalia. Mm. It's Africa that has taken the lead, and uh, the, the the UN came later to to uh, to rehat the the mission. Mm. So Africa is already doing that. Yes, we uh, there's a lot we can do, but we are already doing uh, the best we can mm. at the moment. And what have we learned from those particular missions, that the capacity of, of Africa? What can we unpack from those particular missions? We, <coughs> when we need to uh, avail resources, sure. I think that is, that is where we, we, we have an issue. Mm. We have the troops, we have the skills, we have the professionalism, but the area of resources is where we, we are a bit weak, but I'm sure we can be able to galvanize as a continent and make sure that we also remain committed as far as provision of resources is concerned. Mm. Your thoughts, uh, Mr. Brima, Mr. I think I think I fully agree with him, mm. and um, I can only add that peacekeeping is a global responsibility. Sure. And sometimes uh, having that global image does help. Africans have contributed in peacekeeping in other areas outside of Africa. Mm. So, you know, even as, as, as the, well, the independence and so on is recognized, uh, we have to understand that it's a, it's a global body. Yes. We are all interconnected and interrelated. Yeah. And in that sense, African, African countries are playing a critical role, both in Africa and outside of Africa. Now I want to wrap it up in terms of how do we move forward in terms of actually making sure that we are effective with our logistics. Just recapping the conversation we had, I think uh, Brigadier General, you highlighted some of the areas that we we can actually do better at the beginning of our conversation. But as, as a wrap-up, um, let me start with you, uh, Mr. Bremer, to say how, how can we actually be more effective in our mission logistics? Yeah, I think some of the things are the, are the kind of things that are being discussed mm-hmm. here. Um, from the uh, UN support point of view, it is, like I said, taking a new look at things, see what things can be, uh, if you like, combined to benefit from economies of scale, um, keeping sight of, uh, of performance and, and being able to um, constantly improve the way we do things, um, having new strategies such as a new way of supply chain, um, those kind of things. I think those are the key things that uh, will incrementally um, add up and, and get us efficiency, not only for Africa, but also even for the United Nations. It's a world that everybody, including commercial, profit, non-profit, everybody is seeking ways of uh, getting more efficiently because there's no limitless pot of money any more available. And the issue of transparency that I asked Martin Ewe earlier on in terms of acquiring arms and what are your thoughts around that because that seems to be a problem for Africa. Yeah, I wouldn't comment on that. I don't think, <laughs> I, I, don't think I have uh, sufficient ex- expertise to, 
Brigadier General, your final thoughts? Uh, mine is uh, to say that logistics is key for any operation to succeed. We need to start taking logistics seriously. We need to uh, start taking logistics as a skill because it is, it is important. We need uh, to integrate logistics to benefit from the economies of scale. Thank you. And that issue of transparency, would you like to I don't it? think I'm an expert <laughs> in that. Thank you. Nobody wants to touch that particular element and that aspect of things. But so that's how we're going to wrap it up. Uh, we were right here at the Mission Logistics and uh, Support Africa Conference. It's the first of its kind. It's being hosted right here in Johannesburg, South Africa at the Indaba Hotel Four Ways. We're partnering up today with the Intelligence Transfer Center. What are your thoughts? Let us know what you think about this particular conversation at Channel Africa 1. That's the numeric one at the end or at African Dialogue. We want to thank our guests for being part of this particular conversation. Ibrima Sese from uh, Unamid, thank you for being part of our conversation. Also want to thank Brigadier General Robert Changi Kabage for joining us here on our program. Thank you, sir. Now back to studio. Thank you. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet, and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, now it's time for us uh, to get our economics update in our Johannesburg studios. Thanks, Benjamin, and uh, good morning. The visit by Chinese President Xi Jinping to South Africa is set to translate into major deals. President Jacob Zuma is hosting Xi in one in a one-day state a visit. The two leaders will hold high-level bilateral talks at the union buildings in the capital, Pretoria. They will focus on new initiatives to strengthen trade and investment cooperation. South Africa's International Relations Minister, Mai Tenkwana Mashabani. This is the second state visit by His Excellency President Xi to South Africa. It symbolizes the strength of our bilateral relations. This time around, both His Excellency President Zuma and His Excellency President Xi will be doing stock-taking from us on what we've done with the six principles or six identified areas of cooperation since the last state visit. Meanwhile, Chinese President Xi Jinping's state visit to Zimbabwe on Tuesday resulted in the two countries signing multi-billion US dollar deals of investment. Some of the deals include China providing Zimbabwe with grants for the construction of the power generation plants as well as optical fiber in communication. Although both presidents Robert Mugabe and Xi did not reveal the amount involved, some of the projects are already underway. In total, Zimbabwe and China signed 12 agreements, which are private company-driven. Simon Muchema reports from Harare. 
A brief stopover in Zimbabwe by the Chinese President Xi Jinping has allowed him to sign at least 10 deals for the Southern African country whose projects would start immediately. Some of the projects such as the installation of optical fiber cable for fast and accessible internet had already begun but of concern were of power generation. Zimbabwe is facing serious power shortages such that plans were being made to construct new thermal power stations in Wange and Kariba. The United Nations Conference on Trade and Development has called on African governments to create more direct and indirect jobs through the extractive industries to drive prosperity on the region. According to the UN agency, nascent oil, gas and other mining industries currently account for just 1% of the continent's workforce. The push for increased employment opportunities came up during the 14th Africa Oil and Gas Mines Conference in Khartoum. In Sudan. And South Africa's trade union, Nehau, at Parliament, says the management has improved its offer on the payment of performance bonuses. This follows Tuesday's meeting between Union President Mzwandile Makwaiba and Parliament's presiding officers. Nehau's chairperson in Parliament, Stembi Sotembe, says Makwaiba will reveal the details of the new offer when he addresses the workers soon. You'll address them at 10. Uh, there is an improved uh, offer from the presiding officers, not management. Because management failed to give us improved offer. So the presiding officers presented improved, which as leadership we felt that it is worth consideration with our members. We'll present to them as well because, I mean, that's the procedure. We need to get mandate. If they say we must sign, we'll sign. And finally, Egypt's central bank has revised the way it allocates U.S. dollars at auctions. The economy has been in disarray since uh, the 2011 uprising that ended Hosni Mubarak's 30-year rule. Foreign currency reserves have dropped uh, from 36 billion US dollars before the revolt to about 16.4 billion dollars in October. And that's how it's looking this hour. I'm back in an hour's time with another update. Thanks for joining us in your sports update. I'm Tami Kuza. Let's start with cricket, where South Africa's fast bowler Del Stein is a doubtful starter yet again for the Proteus for Thursday's final test against India in Delhi. Stein had his groin in the first test in Mohali and was unable to bowl for the rest of the game while he was ruled out for the second and third test in Bangalore and Nagpur. The world number one ranked bowler was hoping to recover in time for the Nagpur game, but now that the Proteus have lost the series 2 0, perhaps it would be better for him to rest before the long England tour that starts later this month with the Boxing Day test in Devon. Now in soccer, South Africa made an astonishing second half comeback, scoring three goals in six minutes as they made one of the most amazing comebacks to sink Zambia 3 2 in an entertaining CAF Nations Cup in Senegal on Tuesday afternoon. The South Africans now meet Tunisia in three days' time, knowing that a win will almost guarantee them a place in the last four. 
Swaziland national men's soccer team Sitlang Semnikate has shown immense improvement during recent times in the Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers as they lead their group. The Swazis are on track to make it to the finals of the AFCON 2017 in Gabon early next year. Sitlangu upstaged Guinea away and through with Malawi to signal their intent. Swaziland are in Group L with Zimbabwe, Malawi and Guinea respectively. Swaziland Football Association Secretary General Frederick Mgomezulu explains. Try and improve the quality of our game of football across the board, right from the local league in terms of the standard of the play, the Premier League, where we take the national team players. We've also introduced a series of coach education programs so that we improve the quality of coaching at the club level as well as at the national Swaziland will take to Zimbabwe next year at the Somthala Stadium in Lobamba in a match whose results could give an indication of the national team to qualify from Group L. Swaziland top Group L with four points from two matches together with Zimbabwe, who are second on four points but with a poor goal aggregate. Yes, um, that's a good question. One would say uh, between now and, 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 and March next year, we, we have a hectic schedule in terms of the um, competition. Uh, the players will be busy, which means, therefore, they won't be having any idle time. So our job would be easier when it comes to the national team because the players will be active. What the coaches would have to do is to monitor the progress of the players, the fitness of the players as, as and when they play for their clubs. And now in athletics, President of the South African Sports Confederation and Olympic Committee, Sasko Gideon Sam, has joined other South Africans in paying tribute to founder of the Soweto Marathon and former sports administrator, Banele Sindani. Sindani was shot once in the abdomen in a burglary at his home in Remsech on the western end on Monday night and died on the scene. Gideon Sam says that Sindani will be sadly missed. Banele has played his role. I worked very long with Banele. Whilst we were still divided as, a, as NOXA and the Commonwealth Games Association, he served on my board and he did tremendous work. The news came to us as a real, real shock uh, that he has to die in that manner. And my last uh, interaction with him was uh, in preparation for the Soweto Marathon. He'll be sadly missed by all the structures of sport and all those who have known him in the field of sport for what he has done. And in rugby, South African Springbok Sevens coach Neil Powell has stressed the importance of starting the World Rugby Seven Series on a high note. The Blixbok start their 2015-2016 campaign in Dubai this weekend, where they are grouped in Pool B alongside Scotland, Samoa and newly promoted core team Russia. It's an important season for Powell and his charges, with a lot of emphasis placed on the 2016 Rio Olympics. Powell on Tuesday said that he will look to experiment with the new playing patterns throughout the season, but made it clear that they are still there to win every tournament they contest. And finally, in golf, South African Leon Pace carried 76 in the final round to seal her successful title defense with a three-stroke victory from amateur Leon Luthwaite. Lali Stender reports. The wind was a major factor in the final round of the SA Women's Open at San Lemire Country Club but Leanne Pace produced a 4 over past 76 to successfully defend her title with a three-stroke victory. As soon as the LPGA Tour winner learned she was one of only three players to claim consecutive victories in this prestigious championship, Pace threw down the gauntlet and said she would be heading back to the Hibiscus Coast next year. Obviously I'm uh, very proud to win this one. I'm, I'm, I'm honoured to be here and to be able to win it again. Definitely going to go for that hat trick. I love making history. So um, nice to know the stats, but you know, uh, just you know, happy to support the tournament and be at home. 
And that's the end of our sport. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.